Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 80. Why doesn't the Pope choose men of courage and commitment to be bishops? Once in a great while, Pope St. John Paul II would make such an appointment, and Benedict XVI would do it a little bit more often, but Francis hasn't done it at all. When you consider the three of them together, though, they have a pretty dismal record of choosing men with courage. Such is the case with Bishop Jellyfish, more commonly known as Bishop Timothy L. Dougherty of Lafayette, Indiana. Bishop Jellyfish was ordained to the episcopate by Benedict XVI, so we should really expect at least a little bit of courage from him, but no. He's shown that his value as a bishop has been equal to a ward on someone's hand, serves no purpose except to make an attractive hand ugly. The perception we get from Bishop Jellyfish gets even worse when we contrast him with Father Backbone, better known as Father Theodore Rothrock, a priest under the jurisdiction of Bishop Jellyfish. We'll be talking about what's happening here in this episode. Can you see yourself making converts? Very few books have ever been written to teach the mechanics of practical Catholic evangelization, something all Catholics are obliged to do. Of the books available, none teach you a step-by-step method for actually cultivating an inquirer, then taking that inquirer all the way to the baptismal font. Until now, nobody is more qualified to teach Catholic evangelization than Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Joe Sixpack has made hundreds of converts since 1988 in small group and one-on-one venues, and 84 of them are his adult godchildren. Consequently, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a virtual treasure trove of how-to resources for evangelization. In the Lay Evangelist's Handbook, Joe Sixpack will show you how to become one of God's rock stars of evangelization, what the two primary obligations are for all Catholics that most people don't know how to begin the journey to becoming a saint, the actual mechanics of productive evangelization, the dangers of nice Catholicism, how to hear God laugh, what to do step-by-step to win over a convert, and much, much more. Get your copy of the Lay Evangelist's Handbook by Joe Sixpack, The Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Let me tell you how this episode developed. About seven weeks ago, I published an episode titled Catholic America's New Elijah, Father James Altman. Last week, a six-packer got around to listening to this episode, then alerted me to another priest who definitely needs our prayers. To explain things, she sent me a link to a Glenn Beck video titled Attention All Catholics. I was appalled at what I heard and began to dig a little bit deeper. Here's the gist of the story. Father Theodore Rothrock was a priest at St. Elizabeth Seton Catholic Church in Carmel, Indiana. 
He was suspended after his honest assessment of the Black Lives Matter protest movement was published in his parish's bulletin on June 28th. Apparently, some of the snowflake Catholics in his parish didn't like it. You know the kind. They're the ones who are offended by everything that isn't heretical or politically correct. They immediately engaged in their cancel culture mode against Father Rothrock, demanding that Bishop Jellyfish remove him. What did Father Rothrock publish in the bulletin that was so bad that it merited his suspension from priestly ministry? Did he refer to Black Lives Matter members as non-human or subhuman, which would have certainly been a heresy worthy of suspension? Did he use the N-word, which would have merited at least some form of punishment? What did he say? Well, let's read what Father Backbone wrote, the entire six paragraphs. Quote, this dialogue from Hamlet is taken from Act 3, Scene 2, and is a response from Hamlet's query, How Like You This Play? The line suggests a hidden agenda that is revealed in the objections, where the accuser is actually the perpetrator. History is replete with examples of misdirection. In 2001, the Taliban destroyed the Buddhas of Bamiyan, the 6th century monumental statues of Gautama Buddha in central Afghanistan, claiming them to be pagan idols. The world was horrified, but did nothing about it. Despots and tyrants have always employed accusation and distortion to achieve all manner of mischief in an effort to shape and mold public opinion. Anyone currently doing business with Amazon could not help but notice the prominent banner headline from the internet giant touting their proud support for Black Lives Matter. But do those black lives really matter to the community organizers promoting their agenda? Is Antifa concerned with the defeat of fascist right-wing nationalism or more interested in the establishment of left-wing global socialism? The brutal matter of a black man in police custody has sparked a landslide reaction to the alleged systemic racism in America. We are being told that the scars of race relations in this country are really unhealed wounds that continue to fester and putrefy. Amputation is required. Reforms must be sweeping and immediate to crush the rising wave of racism that pervades the nation and perverts the body politic. On the heels of COVID sequestration, the bottled-up tension of an isolated population has exploded into riots and demonstrations that we have not seen the like in 50 years. What would the great visionary leaders of the past be contributing to the discussion at this point in time? Would men like Frederick Douglass and Reverend King, both men of deep faith, be throwing bombs or even marching in the streets? Would they be pleased with the murder rates in our cities or the destruction of our families by the welfare system? Would they see a value in the obliteration of our history to rewrite a future without the experience and struggles of the past? Would we tear down their monuments? Who are the real racists and purveyors of hate? You shall know them by their works. The only lives that matter are their own, and the only power they seek is their own. 
They are wolves in wolves' clothing, mass thieves and bandits, seeking only to devour the life of the poor and profit from the fear of others. They are maggots and parasites at best, feeding off the isolation of addiction and broken families, and offering to replace any current frustration and anxiety with more misery and greater resentment. The message of peace that comes to us in Christ is the gospel we carry in common with the Orthodox churches and other Christians. We must stand in solidarity with our brethren across the world to oppose this malevolent force. Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and the other nefarious acolytes of their persuasion are not the friends or allies we've been led to believe. They are serpents in the garden, seeking only to uproot and replant a new species of human made in the likeness of men and not the image of God. Their poison is more toxic than any pandemic we have endured. The father of lies has not just been seen in our streets. We have invited him into our home. Now he is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, strong in your faith. End quote. That's the entire piece Father Backbone published in the Sunday Bulletin. Now I ask you, what's wrong with that? All Father Backbone did was to tell the truth, and Bishop Jellyfish is punishing him for being honest. For the record, I reached out to Bishop Dougherty, who I'll now refer to only as Bishop Jellyfish, and offered him the opportunity to defend himself and explain why the suspension of Father Rothrock isn't an act of cowardice. He was given more than 48 hours and has not responded. In law, it's said that silence is a sin. I suppose that means Bishop Jellyfish is admitting to cowardice. What sort of priest is Father Backbone? Well, we know he tells the truth. <laughs> I reached out to him, too, several days before reaching out to Bishop Jellyfish, but I didn't get a reply. I didn't expect one. After all, Father Backbone won't do anything to hinder having the suspension lifted. I don't blame him. The only other thing I could find out about Father Backbone came from a Catholic layperson in the same town who knows him. She wrote, I know Father Ted. St. Elizabeth Seton is not my parish, but it's practically in my backyard. Father Ted is a good priest, but the modernists have taken over the parish, which is why I do not go there. Father Ted needs our help and prayers. His bishop, Timothy Dougherty, caved to the mob. He not only was suspended, but stripped of his next assignment. Pedophile priests haven't been treated this harshly by the church. Priests and the laity are being silenced in Indiana. I have examples. I've reached out to this person for the example she's talking about. I'd also like some other information from her, but she hasn't responded. Apparently, Father Backbone, though, is more suited to be Bishop of Lafayette than Bishop Jellyfish is. And I especially agree with this layperson when she says that pedophile priests haven't been treated this harshly by the church. I can attest to that, having first-hand knowledge of several cases. It's obvious Father Backbone is a man of great character and good sense who stands up for what's right. 
of course he can stand up because he has a backbone. Bishop Jellyfish, on the other hand, makes it clear that he is a character who has no character. Rather than defend his honest priest, as a bishop should do, he caved into the snowflakes and resorted to the one thing they do best. To satisfy the snowflake Catholics, who really aren't Catholics at all, Bishop Jellyfish resorted to the cancel culture, which will completely destroy Father Backbone's entire life. Not just his career, but his life. Bishop Jellyfish, if he was orthodox in his Catholicism, would have known that his moral duty was to stand up for Father Backbone. Oh, but wait, he couldn't. A jellyfish has no backbone, so Bishop Jellyfish has no choice but to wallow in his cowardice. Poor little old pointy-headed thing. While I wasn't able to learn a lot about Father Backbone beyond what we've already discussed, I was able to learn quite a bit about Bishop Jellyfish. There's a wonderful website most of you probably never have heard of before. It's called Faithful Shepherds, and it's owned by LifeSite News. Faithful Shepherds maintains an online file on each and every bishop in the United States so you can know which ones are Catholic and which ones aren't. You can even submit evidence of your own for any bishop, which LifeSite News will thoroughly vet, something they're good at, because the Eighth Commandment actually means something to them. I'll be sure to include a link to Faithful Shepherds in my show notes. Anyway, Faithful Shepherds provides the birth date, ordination date, consecration date, and educational background on all the bishops. Then it lists where the bishop stands on ten topics that have immense meaning to the laity. Personally, I would have added a few more, but the folks of Faithful Shepherds didn't ask my opinion. Nonetheless, this website is a treasure trove of information about our bishops. It seems that Bishop Jellyfish's educational background comes from St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa, the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome, the Alphonsian Academy of the Lateran University in Rome, which is fine so far. But where it seems he may have quit being Catholic is when he got his doctor in philosophy at Loyola University in Chicago. Bishop Jellyfish is obviously no dummy, because none of these schools are diploma mills. You actually have to work to get a degree. All the schools except Loyola are a mixed bag of orthodoxies and heresies, but Loyola is so bad that I'd never include it in my educational resume. Bishop Jellyfish is no dummy, but he's obviously ambitious. He'd apparently made up his mind early in his priesthood that he wanted to be a bishop because he went to all the right schools to be considered for a mitre. Additional evidence that all he wanted was the mitre and ring and not the actual duties established by Christ is where he stands on the ten issues on the Faithful Shepherd's website. On what's called the Vigano Testimony, of Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, the former apostolic nuncio to the U.S., His Excellency went public with an explosive 11-page statement alleging more than 30 high-ranking cardinals, bishops, and priests, including Pope Francis, engaged in covering up sexual abuse in the Church. 
Bishop Jellyfish doesn't stand with the 51 of his brother bishops who think the claim should be investigated. Regarding the ambiguities and outright heresies in Amoris Laetitia from Pope Francis, Bishop Jellyfish hasn't taken a stand on that either. His support for or participation in pro-life leadership? He said and done nothing. Now we can give him a gold star to stick on his lunch bucket on the issue of homosexuality. According to Faithful Shepherds, quote, Bishop Dougherty became the first bishop in the United States to call on an outside investigator to look into the Cardinal McCarrick sex abuse case and expose those who knew about his behavior. Several other bishops called for McCarrick to be held accountable, but Dougherty was outspoken in his specific demand that someone from outside the USCCB investigate the matter, end quote. Kudos, Bishop Jellyfish, but this isn't enough to give you a backbone. On the issues of abortion politics, contraception, LGBT ideology, liturgy, marriage and family life, and education, Bishop Jellyfish has neither said nor done anything to stand up for a Catholic position. Oh, that's right, he doesn't have a backbone, so he can't stand up, can he? Do you want to help Bishop Jellyfish begin to evolve into a vertebrate? According to one person who knows him, the bishop will fold like a cheap suit if you do and keep up the pressure. You can help keep the pressure on him easily. On the Faithful Shepherd's website page about Bishop Jellyfish, there's a link where you can email him and another that allows you to call his office. So have at it. And remember to keep Father Theodore Rothrock in your daily rosary. What did Billy D. Williams, the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell, and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross? Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's Biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity, how the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. Former Vice President Joe Biden pledged to reinstate Obama-era policies that would require the Little Sisters of the Poor to ensure access to birth control and abortifacients for employees in violation of their religious beliefs. Great Catholic, huh? No, 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 no! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to Washington Examiner. 
Religious freedom scholars and experts suggested that the Little Sisters of the Poor's fight is far from over, despite a second victory at the Supreme Court. In fact, Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro, who sued the Little Sisters, said, quote, This fight is not over, end quote. Brian Birch of CatholicVote.org told the Washington Examiner, quote, Hostility toward religion is on the rise. Hate groups on the left aren't giving up. Thanks to several key judicial appointments, we have a court willing to protect us. For now. Oh, yeah! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Hill. President Trump threatened the tax-exempt status of and funding for universities and colleges, claiming that too many schools are driven by radical left indoctrination. Therefore, I am telling the Treasury Department to re-examine their tax-exempt status and or funding, which will be taken away if this propaganda or act against public policy continues, Trump tweeted. Our children must be educated, not indoctrinated. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to National Review. A whopping 70% of Americans think that the Black Lives Matter movement has not improved race relations, according to a new poll from Monmouth University. Imagine that. You big dummy! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News News Pick number one. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. Joe Biden released a series of proposed policy recommendations after consulting with Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and John Kerry, among others. The task force called for carbon-free electricity generation by 2035 and the creation of a government-run health insurance plan known as a public option. The document also states, quote, Democrats oppose and will fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to women's reproductive rights, including repealing the Hyde Amendment, and will work to protect and codify Roe v. Wade. Uh Uh-oh. We're in big trouble now. You can read this whole disgusting story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholicism 101 is the segment where Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, gives you little thumbnail lessons to help you better learn and understand the Catholic faith. Here's this week's Catholicism 101. Queen Elizabeth of England, whom the British called Good Queen Bess because she regularly oppressed Catholics, was out in the English countryside with her hunting party when she came upon a venerable old farmer working his field. She soon discovered that the old man was a fervent Catholic, faithful to the old religion. The queen tactfully tried to win the old man over to the religion of her father, King Henry VIII. The old farmer listened attentively and respectfully as she spoke, even nodding his head and smiling occasionally. And as she continued to speak, he thoughtfully stroked his rather full and impressive beard. The queen concluded by asking him, Well, will you convert and join us? 
The old man slowly shook his head from side to side, grasped his beard firmly in his right hand, and asked, How can I join a religion that is younger than my own gray beard? The old farmer's answer to the queen's question was very wise. The question of the age of non-Catholic Christian religions is a good point, but our separated brethren never seem to grasp that. King Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church in 1534, when he declared himself head of the Catholic Church in England. But it was Martin Luther who started it all with his break from the Church in 1517. Until 1517, there was no other Christian religion in the world but the Catholic Church. If I were a Protestant, and I was, I would have to reasonably ask myself, and I did, are we to believe that we had to wait 1,500 years after Christ ascended into heaven to get the fullness of divine revelation? That seems to be what Protestants truly do believe, yet that makes no sense at all. We can prove the divine establishment of the church on the basis of history alone, but an unfortunate reality is that most people neither know nor care about history. Okay, history aside, is there a means by which we can look at the 40,000 Christian religions in North America alone and determine which is the one true church established by Christ? The answer is most certainly yes. In order to identify the church established by Jesus Christ, we must find the marks that only he alone could and would leave as identifying characteristics of his church. We call those characteristics the marks of the church. There are four primary marks, and they're easily identifiable. It's true that some other churches may have one of those marks, and a few may even possess two of the marks, but there's only one the one established by our Lord, that has all four marks. Those marks that he gave his church are one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. This week and next week we'll examine these four marks and show that only the Catholic Church possesses them. First, the mark we call one. We say the Catholic Church is one because all our members profess the same faith, participate in the same sacraments, and obey the Roman Pontiff, the Vicar of Christ. You might want to read Ephesians 4-5. Jesus never spoke of a plurality of churches, but of my church, when he promised Peter that he'd make him the rock foundation of the church he was about to establish. The church is always pictured in the New Testament as visibly one, presided over by Peter who represents Christ, telling all men until the end of time to believe only what he and his apostles taught, to obey his and their commands, and to worship as he had ordered. Christ plainly foretold that the gates of hell would never prevail against the church, and that he'd provide for its unity by his own presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's granted that the private judgment of the individual naturally brings about disunion in the church, but Christ ensured its unity by a special supernatural grace, which he asked of his father the night before he died, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be in us. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one. 
That's found in John 17, verses 21 through 23. St. Paul insists on the unity of the church in all his epistles. Although he mentions individual local churches in certain cities, he teaches clearly that they are parts of the one church in every place. The church is not a mere organization that may be divided and subdivided like a nation or club, but a divine organism with its own inherent principles of life. It's Christ's mystical body of which he is the head and all Christians are members. It's founded by one Lord, given life by one Spirit, entered into by one baptism, ruled by a united body of bishops, and having one aim, the glory of God and the salvation of men's souls. Being one is to be united, as Christ commands. We must remember that he isn't Jesus the warm fuzzy, but rather Jesus the incarnate word of God. That means we're obliged to be obedient to his church in all matters of faith and morals. We must obey Christ through his church on everything in the Ten Commandments and all that they imply. Many Catholics seem to think they can pick and choose what to believe and not believe, what to obey and not to obey. If what Christ through his church demands isn't comfortable, is difficult, or doesn't feel good, they simply choose not to obey. These Catholics are typically referred to as cafeteria Catholics. The fact is, they aren't really Catholics at all. They voluntarily separated themselves from the Catholic Church, and their eternal souls are in grave danger. I can actually empathize with many modern Catholics in their cafeteria attitude. Indeed, they can't be fully blamed. After all, there was a gross rebellion of many leaders in the 70s that led to a truly dumbed-down catechesis in our country. Hence the reason we see virtually no one going to confession week after week, month after month, year after year, but everybody seems to go to communion every single Sunday. Even that's understandable, since surveys clearly show that 70% of Catholics in the pew no longer believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And the reason for the lack of belief is the dumbed-down catechesis. Next week, we'll continue our examination of the marks of the Church. Got a question? Ask me at cantankerouscatholic.com. That's awesome, dude! Do you have an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a holy orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, The Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week, and our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other podcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, 
or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. Today's Catholic Quotes is by Pope Pius IX. He said, If a future Pope teaches anything contrary to the Catholic faith, do not follow him. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A lion, being unable from old age and sickness to obtain food by force, decided to do so through trickery. He laid in his den and pretended to be very sick and made sure all the jungle creatures knew of his illness. The beasts all expressed their sorrow and came one by one to his den to visit him. Then the lion devoured them. After many of the beasts disappeared, the fox figured out the trick and went to see the lion, but stood on the outside of the cave. How are you? asked the fox. I'm very sick. Won't you come in? answered the lion. The fox replied, No thanks. I notice there are a lot of footprints entering your cave, but I don't see any coming out again. St. Peter in one of his letters speaks of the devil as a lion seeking someone to devour. The devil uses many tricks to make people commit sin so he can drag them into hell. We see this happening on a really grand scale today with Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and other groups and causes. Many have lost their souls because they listened to the devil and lived wicked lives. On the road to hell, there are a lot of footprints leading in, but none leading out. The punishment of hell is eternal. There aren't any second chances. Today might be a good day for confession. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers. They need to be listening to the Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find the Cantankerous Catholic, because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.